Well, I think most of you know, if not, well, maybe some of you don't, that, that I, I like to run and that I also coach running. I like to coach running too. And um, by the way, open invitation, um, Eric and I, we, we try to run whenever he's in town and we run together. So you want to show up tomorrow, um, 345 right here. We're going to go do a little short little 10 miles. Um, so you're welcome to join us. Um, that's running, not driving. Okay, so running. So welcome to join us. But I like to run and, and I like to coach running. And, you know, and I, you know, people sometimes, you know, ask like, oh, why do you run? You know, that, you know, it seems so hard or you know, some people say it's so boring, things like that. And in my experience, what I found is like there's, there's, there's two different types of, of runners in general. Um, the first one, you know, they like this, you know, and I talk to my cross country and track runners, you know, bef especially the new ones who've never trained in their lives. They've never been in a real race. They're faster than all their friends. They, they think that they're fast, but they've never really competed against people that have trained really hard, especially for several years. And so all they think about is, oh, it's going to be me. Finish line, hitting the tape, you know, um, I'm ahead. What they find out quickly is um, you don't get here unless you also do this thing called training. And so there's, there's the running and, and that running, that's what we do. It's, it's funny how I have to explain that to, to people. You know, I have another image here of, of you know, explaining to my, to my runners like, okay, this is cross country running and you're complaining about running. What did you think we were gonna do? Well, were we gonna just practice plays? I mean, what were we gonna do? We were gonna run. And so when people start to understand to get better, I need to run and I need to run a lot. And I, some days I gotta run really hard and other days it's really long, but it's running. And so the other type of runners is not the ones that just love to win, but they love to train. They just love to run. And unfortunately, the majority of them are more the first type than the second type. And that's why it can be so hard sometimes. But we, you know, we can be in love with winning or we can be in love with the training. We can be in love with all that, that goes, goes along. But I remember um, a couple years ago when, especially our, our boys team at Kalani, uh, this was supposed to be our year to kind of compete for a state championship. And unfortunately the pandemic has messed it up. And our girls team was, was, you know, was getting, you know, getting better and starting to be able to compete for OIA championships. And when we were on Maui, you know, right before the meet, you know, the day before the meet, we're just kind of sitting there and we're up on Seabury. And if you've ever been to Seabury, it's an upcountry Maui. We could see the ocean. It was very beautiful. We're just sitting there and I'm talking to them. And I wasn't talking to them about what was going to happen tomorrow, the next day, which was the state championship. I was talking to them about what's going to happen in a year. I said, in a year, we're going to have another state championship. And you guys have the potential to, to do really well. 
But the question is, the only thing that's going to get you over the next 365 days is you have to love something. You have to love driving yourself, pushing yourself. You have to love training. You have to love winning. You have to love beating your buddy. You have to, you know, love, you know, not losing, whatever. You know, whatever it is, something's going to have to carry you through those days. Because if you're only thinking about, oh, in 365 days we're going to be at another state championship and I hope I do better, it's not going to work. And what I really needed, and, and actually we got, was just a few of them. Uh, let me show you a picture of one of the most famous runners that, that there is. Um, you guys know this guy, right? Um, Forrest Gump, one of the most famous runners. And, and if you watch the movie, you know that you know, he just decides one day to start running. And he just starts running, and he just run, 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 run. Um, and so I just needed a couple of Forrest Gumps that were just going to run, especially some of those ones that weren't so good. Because sometimes when you coach, like what, what people think is they think the really good athletes are like, they're like supernatural, like they just magically became great athletes. They don't realize they had to work. But if you had examples of people that just started kind of normal like everybody else and they saw them work, all I needed was a few examples. Because if I had some examples, well, you know, what happened with Forrest Gump? He apparently spawned the entire running craze of the 70s. And if you remember that, the last scene when he finally decides to stop running, you know, there he is um, on the, he's got this big beard, and there he is on the road, and he just turns around and says, I'm done. And they're like, oh, what next? I'm going home, right? But all of these people across the nation were inspired to follow him. Yeah, that's a, it's a fictitious story, but it actually has truth. That when we see more and more people who are, who are running, it encourages us to do the same. That when we see others who are you know, putting in the effort, and even putting in the effort and seeing the results, it helps us do the same. We, we, we need examples. And, and that's where our world is. Our world can hear about Jesus. They can hear about what it means to be a Christian. But do they actually see examples? If they don't see examples, then what's going to happen? Well, they're going to have words. They're going to understand, oh, you know, God is love and, you know, all these things. But what is the meaning behind those words? Well, it's going to be whatever they decide it's going to mean. And so they can very well feel like they're being Christ-like, but they're being Christ-like according to their own definition of what it means to be Christ-like. The world needs more real-life examples of what it means to become more like Christ. It's... It's not, you know, pay attention to those words. It's not being like Christ. It's not loving, like being like Christ. They don't need examples of that. We got enough people who already think they're like God. You know, we don't need that. We don't need people who are in love with the finish line. 
The world needs people who are in love with doing the things that they need to do every day to become more like Christ. Because we're never going to get to being like Christ unless we're willing to do the things to become like Christ. And as long as people don't see that, if they don't know what is taking place in your life, what you are doing, if they don't know that, then they think, if they think you're Christ-like, they just think like, well, you know, that's your personality. You're just a good dude. Even your kids might think that. They might think like, oh, you know, my mom and dad, they're, they're really good Christians. But they have no idea because they haven't seen you training. They haven't seen you becoming. They haven't seen the time that, that you put into, into God's word and you put into prayer. And, and it's really hard because you don't want to do these things to be seen because then it kind of messes with the motivation. But on the other hand, they need to be seen. You know, I've told you guys this before that one of you know, my regrets in raising my kids is not helping them understand that the more and more about my relationship with Christ. And if I was having any kind of success or if I was growing in my faith, it wasn't just because I was becoming more mature, becoming a better person. It wasn't just because of my abilities and my efforts, but it's because that I was putting in the time. I was putting in the time in the Word. I was putting in the time trying to live out my life. I was trying to put in the time in prayer and my inner thoughts and trying to understand more in my conversations with other people. The world, they, they need that. And we know in our society, in our culture, they're trying harder and harder to, to push that kind of stuff into like private places. Because the, the, you know, the, United, the United States, America, our society is convinced that religion is a private matter. It's a personal matter. And so you should do that in private and personal places. But the Bible doesn't say that. If, if we are truly transformed by Jesus Christ, and if we truly love God with all our mind, strength, heart, might, how can you confine that to, to a secret private place? It should be everywhere. And so we come to this, this text where... Paul is going to use this imagery of running. And remember, he's, he's, write, he's, he's writing to these Philippians and he's trying to encourage them. And he had just talked about you know, all the, the blessings, the benefits that, that, that come from, from following Christ. And that what his goal is, what he has decided is the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And so he's talked about all that. And then he follows that up with what we read in verse, uh, verse 12. He says, 
Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So again, he's using this image of, of running. And he, and he talks about you know, pressing on. And he talks about the prize. And he's trying to help them to understand that, that, that even, you know, you know Paul, and Paul's, Paul has said, you know, you know, these are examples. I'm an example, but he's also saying, I'm an example that's, that's a still a work in progress. I'm, I'm not a finished product. I'm still moving. I'm still pressing on. And that's, that's something that we have to, you know, understand and be willing to, to accept in the people around us and also in ourselves. I think one of the reasons we don't want to let people in close and to really know what's going on in our lives is because we only want them to see the finished product. We only want them to see when we got everything okay, going, going well. We don't want them to see the mistakes that are made along the way that, that you know, that we had to kind of go through and then fortunately they weren't the kind of mistakes that were debilitating and we could continue on. We don't want them to see that. And so we don't let people see. But we have to realize like if we're all that way, then why are we all pretending that we're not? You know, I had this, I've told, I think I've told you guys this before, but I've had this conversation with my wife for, for many decades where, you know, if we invite people over to our house, she wants to make our house look like something that it doesn't look like every day. And, and then she'll tell me, she'll say like, I don't know how so-and-so, you know, has a job, has kids, and keeps their house perfectly. And I would tell her, because she's doing the same thing you're doing, before we go over, she makes the house look like it doesn't look every day. And that's how we often are in church. Like, we're, we're around our Christian brothers and sisters, and we all know that we struggle. We all know that we're, we're pressing on, we're growing, but that means sometimes we're going to make mistakes and sometimes we're going to fall down and sometimes we're going to fall behind. And we all know it, but we pretend like none of that's happening. And no one sees the example of pressing on. I, there's so many examples I could just use from, from you know, from running, but and coaching, but I, I, I can tell you about this, 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 one, this one girl who, um, you know, if you saw her at the state championship, you would have thought like, okay, she's, 
she finished the race. You know, she was in the top 40 out of 150, 160. It's okay. Pretty good. There, there she was. But as her coach, we knew her story. We, we knew that, that about three weeks prior, she had gotten what we eventually found out was a stress fracture in her, in her shin. If you know what a stress fracture is and how painful it can be, you know, you know, like, the fact that she wanted to run, we, we tried to talk her out of it, but she wanted to run. She talked to her mom, and we told her mom, this is, this is, this is a real injury. This isn't, we don't know what it is, but we know it's real. But she wanted to run. She kept training. She, we kept, you know, helping her as best we could. I, I taught her my, I taught her my famous uh, one-legged running, because I'm I'm not the smartest person all the time about running. I just want to run. So there have been times when I've pulled my hamstring and I can't move my right leg, but I know how to run with just my left leg. Not recommended, by the way. It does hurt after a while. But we did everything we could to get her ready. And for me, I, because I knew her story because I'd been there every day with her. I was, you know, I couldn't have been more proud of her than if she had accomplished her goal, which was to try to finish in the, you know, top, top 10. But, but for some reason, we don't like to let other people see our stories. We don't like to let people understand like what we're facing and what we're having to overcome. And when somebody starts sharing it, we get kind of weirded out. Like we kind of want to distance ourselves from that. We don't want to hear it. But we press on. And Paul's trying to say like, this is where true joy comes. It's, it's true joy comes because we know if we press on where we're going. We know if we press on who we are becoming. And that gives us joy. And it doesn't matter, doesn't matter how far along we are in the race. We just keep moving. We keep going forward. And we know every step forward we're becoming more and more like Christ. But we find joy again, not just in knowing that we're more like Christ, but we find joy in knowing that the more I'm like Christ, the better I can represent him in this world, and the better I can represent him in this world, the more that other people will come to know Christ. The more that my brothers and sisters in Christ will be encouraged to keep pressing on. I find joy, not just that I benefit by becoming more like Christ. I find joy because others benefit. But it comes from pressing on. It's, it's mind-boggling to me sometimes when I'll have like really talented runners that reach a certain level and then they'll just decide, you know, good enough. And so they, they're, they're not going to train any harder. Ah, they'll still show up to practice, they'll still run, they'll still do well. 
but they're not going to push themselves anymore. And again, I think too much in our Christian lives, there's too many people in our churches who, who believe that they've become good enough. They believe that I no longer have to push and strain and press on to know the Lord that I need to know more and more about who Jesus is. I need to have him search deeper and deeper into my life and to root out all of that sin and all that selfishness and all that pride. I've got enough. Whatever enough is, I got enough. I'll still come to church. I'll still give my offering. I'll still go to Bible study. You know, I'll still pray. But I'm not pressing on. And sometimes people think like they have this mindset that, that we get to retire, that we get to retire as Christians. You don't retire. You press on. Press on. You might not be able to do all the things you could do before, but you press on. You know, one of the things that's kind of the sad thing about, you know, how I am now is I understand running. I understand, you know, how my body works way better now than I did when I was younger. And in some ways, I'm probably in better shape than when I was younger. But I was way faster when I was younger. Why? Because I'm getting older and my muscles are not, they're not getting stronger. They, you know, I just went to the physical therapist and, you know, she's telling me like, you know, I have pain in my forearm, but it's probably because my shoulders are too tight, my back's too tight, because as you get older, your muscles start to get tighter. And so I, I think like, wow, if I had, you know, if I, if I knew back then what I know now, right? I know that I'm never going to go, you know, run a sub three hour marathon. It's not going to happen. But I can still run. I can still get better. I can still press on. We all can. Again, the one exception, and if this is you, you need to come tell me, is that if you are already perfectly like Jesus, if you are perfectly like Jesus, please come tell me, because I need to meet you. But for the rest of us, you press on. You don't say, look at me, look at how old I am. I can't, you know, I, you know I'm going to see Jesus soon enough. You know, he'll make me like him. I'm, I'm done. No. You press on. Every second, every step, every breath. S second point that we see here is where it talks about that we're pressing on. And it says... In verse 12, it says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And then in verse 14, it says, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that phrase, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, Paul uses it all the time. 
And he's not just throwing words out. He's referring to this, this existence we have when we become Christians, that we, we are in Christ and, and, and he is in us. And what this reminds us is that that true joy comes when, when we know Jesus is running with us. He's right there. He's right there running with us. He, he's really the best training partner because, you know, he'll run at our pace and then when we need it, he pushes us. But if I realize that I'm not just becoming more like Jesus, but Jesus is there with me, running with me, I should be encouraged. I should have joy to know that his presence is is always with me. I also know that he's running with me, so I if I keep running with him, I know I'm going in the right direction. If you've ever had to do any kind of exercise that's hard, it's often a lot better. It's a lot more joyous if you have someone to train with. Especially someone who shares, you know, your goals and, and is, you know, willing to work where you are. So we have the presence of, of Christ in our lives. He's running with us. He's showing us the way. We have his example that we can follow. Because he's right there. I mean, that's one of the things that I like about coaching is I get, I get to run and now I'm getting, I used to run with the best runners. Now I'm getting older, so I'm running kind of with the middle pack and pretty soon I'll be running with the, the ones that just started. Um, but for me, I want them to know this isn't something I just talk about. This isn't something I talk about my glory days. Oh yeah, you know, I used to do this workout. No, I'll do it with them. You see, it's great that we have others around us that are also pressing on and we get their example. But it's even greater to know that Jesus is right there with us. Then Paul writes in the middle of this passage, he says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. It's kind of interesting because when a lot of people interpret this passage, they they want to talk about how it's they want to talk about how we forget our our past sin and we forget our defeats. And I suppose we can bring that in, and there's an element of that. But remember what Paul's just talked about. He has just listed all of the reasons that he has to be able to boast. Remember, he says he's a Hebrew of Hebrew, circumcised on the eighth day, that he was the most zealous of all the Jewish people. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. 
He's just listed all of that. And then he, he had told us that he counted it as rubbish. He counted it as not just useless. He counted it as like, like totally out of place, even offensive in now and who he was in Christ. He's saying, I'm, that's, I'm leaving that behind. And I'm pressing on to, to what he has said before, knowing Christ Jesus, sharing in his suffering. He says, we leave this behind. You, you, these things are things that, that weigh us down. And you think like, how can all these good things weigh you down? The good things weigh you down that the accomplishments and all that we have, they weigh us down if we believe those are our accomplishments. Because what that does is it, is it even though we might say the right words and we might say like, oh, you know, it's about God's grace. I don't deserve it. I don't earn it. Um, but wink, wink. I'm still a pretty good person. And you want proof that I'm a pretty good person? Well, here's a certificate that I got when it says I'm a pretty good person. You know why I'm a pretty good person? I got, and I don't know who gave me, you know, who voted on this, but I got a t-shirt that says world's greatest dad. You know, um, I mean, I'm a pretty good person. You know, look at my job. People think well of me. I have a good reputation. I always get excellence when they, when they do, you know, reviews, evaluations. I'm a pretty good person. And even though we'll never totally verbalize it, somewhere in our heads is, I think God's pretty lucky to have me on his team. I think it's good, good for him. Oh, we know how to layer it. We know how to add layers of humility. But the, the truth is, the more we trust in all of our accomplishments in the past, the harder it is to really let go and to be like Christ. Because we're always going to hold on to who we are. Paul's saying, God, let it go. You know, let go of those, those, that, those victories. And again, he's not saying forget it. He obviously didn't forget those things. But he's saying they, they need to be put in their proper place. Now, even though he may not specifically be talking about, about defeats and weaknesses and all of that, even though he may not be... He may not be specifically talking about it. We can talk about it. Because we know for some of us, what holds us back from really pressing on and being more like Christ is our past. It is our weaknesses. It is our failings. We're afraid. We don't really believe Jesus can do what he says he's going to do. And so we don't really want to put ourselves out there. Or maybe we remember the times we were like John Mark, 
And we started doing what God wanted. We started to follow his call. And then in the middle of the first mission trip, we decided to go back home. Maybe remember those times. Maybe we just have come to grips with, with you know, all of the things both internally to us and the things in our lives, our upbringing, the situations, the mistakes we've made, and everything else. And we just think like, there's no way, there's no way that God can use this. And it ultimately gets down to trust. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ can change your life? Do you really believe in his resurrection power? Do you really believe in the truth of his word? Because if you do, there's nothing. There's nothing that he cannot overcome. Remember, Paul, when he's listing his accomplishments, he throws in there one where he says, I was a persecutor of the church. Paul not only could brag about all the good things that he had done, he could also, in terms of like the, the possible sins, I, I got the biggest one. Some of the early Christians are dead because of me. Some of them lost their homes. Some of them had to, had to flee out of Jerusalem. Some of them were tortured in prison. And it was because of me. If God can use Paul, why can't he use you? If Paul could press on and find peace with God and find joy, why not you? We press on. We leave behind the past. We press on to that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And as Paul had talked about that earlier, it's this, it's this surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He said, let those of us who are mature think this way. This isn't the, the new Christian doesn't have the track record yet. The non-Christian certainly doesn't understand this. But it's the mature Christian who gets it. I never stop. I never give up. I keep pressing on. And I keep trusting that Christ will change. Will change me. Will take care of whatever the problems are. This last section, he says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who, who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul is taking this section to talk about these um, opponents of Christianity. And we're not going to really unpack that this morning. If you want to hear more about that, you know, join us on Wednesday night for our Bible studies. 
But he starts off by saying, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul is saying, you want to stay on course? Okay, you can look at my life or you can look at the lives of other faithful Christians. Paul seems to be understanding, you know, the Jesus Christ, you know, following that example, knowing what that means, you know, we can generally know what that means. We can look at things like, you know, faithfulness and humility and all of that. But for some of us, we, we can't just deal with words and concepts. We need to see it. And, and if we just look at Jesus, we realize we are very rarely, if ever, going to be in the situations Jesus found himself in. So he's saying, look at the faithful Christians. Keep your eyes on them. Follow them. I had a runner who, last year who just was really, you know, very talented, very good, and, and he had never run before. He'd never run in races, never trained, he just ran. And so he would often find himself in the lead of the race. Well, he had never run before, and he didn't know where the course was going. So almost every race he ran off the course, and we had to like yell at him to get him to come back. He wouldn't have had that problem if he was like the typical runner. He would have been, you know, been able to follow others who had been there before him. That's why God wants us to be in the church. That's why my pressing on, your pressing on is so important because it's not just for us, it's for others to be able to follow the example. And so he says... Imitate me. Keep your eyes on, on others who followed our example, who are walking, who are walking this way. Do that. If, if, you, if it's just too hard for you to conceive of what it means to be like Jesus, just do what they're doing. Live the way they live. Now, don't follow these false teachers. These false teachers are gonna they're gonna lead you astray, they're gonna lead you to destruction. Look for the ones who are following. And again, you go, Well, how can I know? How can I tell the difference between the false teacher and the true teacher? How do I know which examples to follow? And it always comes back to the same thing. It's like do you do you know God's word? If you know God's word, you look for the people who are following God's word. If you don't know, eh, you're in trouble. And what we understand is, even if we don't fully get it, what does it mean to be Christ-like at the beginning? Paul is encouraging you to follow the examples because he knows that on the journey, during the race, that you will be transformed even more into the image of his son as you continue to do these things. He's not saying it's magical. He's not saying it's ritual. He's just saying it's what you need to do. 
Be in God's word, study God's word, think about it, pray about it, talk about it with others, live it. You will be changed. He's not saying, oh, if I open my Bible every day and read six verses, God will bless me. No, it's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, get into his word. Know his word. Because if you're following the examples of others, that's what they're doing. Live it. And don't just live parts of it. Live it all. Know it all. And I think even though Paul doesn't completely, you know, bring this out to us, it's, it's what I, you know, see in this last part of this. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I long, love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul reminds us here that he finds joy when he sees others on the journey. And that's the same thing that can be true of us. When we see others pressing on, it brings us joy. And we said, especially true for Paul when it's people he's invested in, people he's, he's brought to Christ, he's discipled, he's, he's been there for them. It's even more so in that case. But I think it's always true. I think if we're pressing on, if we're, if we're you know, doing what's necessary to become more like Christ and we see others doing it, it's not, I feel jealous. It's, I feel joy. I can rejoice. And so he's, he's telling the Philippians, stand firm. Stand firm because when you're staying faithful, it's joy for me. In fact, he's even calling them his joy. And he's calling them his crown. All of these other accomplishments, ah, they don't matter. What matters is that you are walking faithfully. You are following Christ Jesus. And, you know, sometimes we get frustrated. You know, we get frustrated sometimes with others on the same journey because we're okay as long as they're like right next to us or maybe ahead of us leading the way. But sometimes we get frustrated with those behind us. It's one of those secret things that, that weaken churches where the people who are in church longer and who are growing in their faith sometimes forget to have grace for the people who haven't become Christians yet or who are just on the first steps of their journey. And they almost like want to make, make them like move faster than they need to. And they get upset when they can't keep up. And everything in the church is for all the people over here. And, you know, if they can't, if they can't make it, they can't make it. Paul has this picture of himself and, and others. And he's saying, yeah, there's a... We want to keep our eyes on the faithful because, you know, we want to follow. But we don't want to forget the ones behind either. We want to help them. And whether you think you're somebody who's way behind or way ahead, it, it doesn't matter. When Paul says, forget what lies behind, he's not saying, forget all your, forget all those younger Christians. No. 
we, we are all on the same journey. Be encouraged when that new Christian discovers the truth you discovered 30 years ago and it's new to them and it's awesome. I sometimes think like if we treated our own children the way we treat you know, new believers in the church, I mean, I don't think our kids would have survived and if they did, they would have probably needed years of psychotherapy. You know, you, you see the you know, you see the little, you know, toddler, you know, fascinated by the butterfly. And you're like, that's just a common butterfly. It's not special. You know, they see the bird. Those birds, they're terrible. You know what they do? They make a mess all over my car. I hate those birds. And they're just fascinated by the bird. Because it's, you know, first time they're seeing it. First time they're recognizing it. And too many times in the church, we steal the joy of those behind us. Because like, they should know that. I do. They should. Right? Let's not get frustrated. Just be encouraged. I loved when my daughters saw new things. When they learned new things. I just, you know, just remembering their faces. And just knowing, like, you know, this is their first time. They've never seen that before. It's what we're called to be as Christians. Looking ahead at those who are ahead of us, but not forgetting those who are behind. And we find joy wherever we look when we do that. Let's pray.